Well, hey, good morning, New Life Fellowship. Uh, welcome to our worship service. Uh, if you're wondering why we've pre-recorded today's sermon, uh, it's because we're actually filming this at around 5.27 p.m. on Saturday. Um, and the reason why is because on Monday, uh, my second son, Ezekiel, uh, uh, actually had a COVID exposure in his daycare. Uh, they shut it down. Uh, but on Friday, we received a PCR test, and on Saturday, today, uh, we received those results back, and they were actually positive. Um, I actually received a PCR test on Friday as well, and mine came back negative. And most likely, it's because um, although my son um, tested positive, he's not vaccinated, he's not eligible for the vaccination yet because he's only two and a half, um, whereas I'm uh, vaccinated. I'm boosted, uh, and in fact, I was boosted uh, less than three months ago, so probably have a lot of those antibodies in me. Um, I actually tested even before coming here uh, and was negative again uh, with a rapid test, but just as a sign of precaution, because today is the first day we are not, um, we're making masks optional, uh, I just thought it would be really, really good for us to just stay safe, but at the same time, give you the sermon um, that, um, that the Lord had put on my heart, that I prepared this week. Anyhow, all that to say, hopefully uh, this experience is a good one, and hopefully uh, still the Word of God gets to you, and that, um, and that you can eat it, digest it, um, and, and really be filled with Christ this morning. Well, we've been going through a sermon series called New Life in Old Disciplines, uh, and in week one, if you have not listened to that, please go back and listen to it, because we're always building upon that first sermon. But also, in addition, if you're able to go back and listen to week two, which was on fasting, uh, week three, which was about silence and solitude, uh, last week, which was on study, and then today, uh, we're coming on to the spiritual practice of Sabbath which in my view, and I wanna make an argument in the Bible's view, is probably one of the most important spiritual practices of our lives. And so if you have your Bibles with me, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're gonna be looking at verses eight to 11, uh, and then we'll look at Deuteronomy chapter five, verses 12 to 15. And the reason for these two passages is because in the Bible, the 10 commandments are listed twice, once in Exodus and then once in Deuteronomy. So we're going to read the Sabbath passages from the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments and then from the Deuteronomy passage of the Ten Commandments. All right, so if you're able to at this time, would you rise as we read God's Word together? Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. This is the reading of God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now let's turn to the Deuteronomy passage here. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then I'll seat you after the prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for these two Sabbath passages. Lord, we're so grateful, God, that you provide us rest, that you tell us to stop. You tell us to stop our ambitions, our desire for more, and Lord, you ask us to rest in your loving embrace. God, we pray today that if there are those of us in this place who are anxious, who are worried for more things, Lord, we pray that you would set on our hearts, Lord, so we can pay attention to your word, absorb it, Lord, and practice it in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, well, today I have three points as I normally do. Uh, the first point is called a culture of more. Uh, the second point is called a culture of stop. And then finally, a culture of rest is our third point. Okay, so a culture of more, a culture of stop, and a culture of rest is our final point. Uh, today I'm going to give actually two illustrations back to back, and I'm going to ask you to hold on to one of them as we move on with the second one, okay? The first one is this. I remember a while ago watching a video by Francis Chan, and I think it was a sort of a parody. It wasn't real life by any means, uh, but Francis Chan had recorded a video of him and his family going to In-N-Out. And at In-N-Out, they order all these burgers, all these fries, all these shakes, and he, he, he gets to the table, his, his daughters, his children are anxious to get into it, his wife is anxious to get into the food, but he tells them to stop. And he actually protects the food. And he begins to hoard all of that food. He begins to eat more and more and more. He eats all of the burgers. He eats all the french fries while stuffing his face. Meanwhile, his children and his wife sit by hungry. In fact, I remember in the video, he takes his baby's bottle, his milk bottle, and he drinks her milk bottle. And at the end of it all, there's virtually nothing left. He passes over the plate to his daughters and to his children and to his wife. And he says, go ahead, enjoy. But there's virtually nothing left. And his daughters cry out, we're hungry. There's no food here for us. And Francis Chan, uh, as sort of a, a you know, uh, again, this is a parody, sort of cries out to God and says, God, Lord, please, I'm, save us. My kids are hungry. They're starving. They, they need more food. And so he, he prays to God to provide them more food in anguish and in anxiety. And I think the point of the video was really this that sometimes our desire for more things, that our desire to hoard, our desire to eat more and more things of this world are not actually just us being independent of anything in the world, but rather our desire for more can actually affect and even oppress the people around us. Let me say that again. Our desire for more and more things can actively oppress those around us. Hold on to that illustration for a moment because we'll come back to it. But let me move on to the second illustration. Let me actually ask you a question. Do you currently have a good boss, manager, CEO? Or in other words, let me just use this term. Do you have a good leader over your place of employment? Or do you have a bad leader in the place of your employment? A leader is so important because ultimately, a leader is in charge of creating culture. In fact, a leader, unbeknownst to them, even if they were to not try, would create culture. And the reason why is because oftentimes the environment or the organization's culture bleeds out of the leader, him or herself. And so the values, which then translate into culture of a particular environment, actually flows out of that particular leader. So for example, in our church, 
If, say, for example, and I hope this is never true of our church, but let's just say, for example, one day I walk into our church and I find a culture of legalism, a culture where there is a lot of self-righteousness. Well, instead of blaming those particular people, what I, would, what I should do as a leader is really look at myself and say, oh my gosh, maybe there's something that I'm doing that's causing this kind of culture to be rampant in this particular church, in this particular organization. Because I am really the person who disseminates and really uh, a kind of culture really flows out of who I am into the church. Leaders bleed culture. Leaders bleed values. And if you're ever a part of a job that had a dysfunctional culture, most likely it came not from a dysfunctional leader, but from dysfunctional leadership. Right, the, the things that they were doing in their leadership role was maybe dysfunctional. If you were ever at a job that had really great organization, clear objectives for each employee, and each employee was supported by their other team members, most likely it began with a leader who was organized and clear in, who their, uh, in what their objectives were. And some of you in here have worked for really good bosses and then have you know, transitioned to really bad bosses and vice versa. And you've maybe experienced two different types of culture. In other words, let me put it like this, right? Who your leader is matters a lot because it then sets culture, it then sets value. And all this to say, right, let me ask you this question now. Who do you follow? Right, let me ask you that again. Who do you follow? Do you follow Christ? Right, Christ who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who's forgiving, who's good, who's gracious, who's generous, who's kind, who's a counselor, our kind and good and amazing Christ? Do you follow Him or do you follow the world? Do you follow the pattern of the world? Do you follow, in fact, Satan, if you would? Do you follow the world that's a dog-eat-dog -dog world? The world that hoards? The world that is violent? The world that is selfish, self-centered? The world that is all about achievement and beauty and status and fame? I ask because who you follow, whoever your leader is, will then dictate everything about your life, the culture and the values of your life. Our passage for today comes from two places, Exodus and Deuteronomy, and I mentioned them to you. The Exodus passage we want to study is because this is the time when the Israelites were just rescued out of Egypt. They were in slavery, they were in captivity, and God rescues them out of Egypt and I want to ask you this question now. Do you know why God rescued the Israelites from Egypt? Many Christians, and, and this is true, by the way, many Christians think it's because of slavery. And of course, that's absolutely true. They were bound, they were oppressed, and they were beaten into submission and slavery. And God was rescuing them from that situation. But God was also rescuing them from something else. God was rescuing them from the leadership of Pharaoh, if you would. He was rescuing them from the values, from the culture, from the vision of Pharaoh himself. What do I mean by this? Pharaoh, in my opinion, is a paradigm. In other words, it's an example of the world. What, what drove Pharaoh? What was Pharaoh all about? Well, I can sum him up in one word, really. It's the word more. More drove Pharaoh. Pharaoh's vision was to acquire more was to build more pyramids, was to accumulate more wealth. 
was to acquire more straw and to acquire more workers so that those workers could then build more bricks so that he could make more pyramids and show off his wealth and his power and acquire more land so he could build more pyramids, conquer more people so that he could enslave them, more and more and more. Think about this word more for a second. More is interesting, isn't it? Because more implies that there's no limit. It's infinite. More is more than you have now. And thus what you have now is not enough. And thus you need more. How much more? I don't know, just more. You need an infinite amount more. And when you have acquired more, well, guess what? You still need more. Because again, your goal is not a number. Your goal is not to be satisfied. Your goal is more and more and more. And going back to our illustration at the very beginning, whenever the word more becomes your goal, this is a very, very dangerous place to live. Think about what characterizes Moses in the Exodus narrative. It's anxiety, right? Who's anxious in the story? Is it God? Is it Yahweh? Is it Moses? No, it's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is running around, changing his mind left and right, Right, doing all sorts of things, scheming all the... Pharaoh is clearly anxious in the story. And who is oppressing and enslaving human bodies? It's Pharaoh. More creates anxiety. More creates this idea that you need more. And so because of that, in order to acquire more, the inevitable result is it creates a system whereby oppression occurs whereby you must, in order to acquire the more in life, you have to subjugate other human lives. You must oppress other people. And so when God sets the Israelites free from this slavery, He not only frees them from the bondage of slavery, but He frees them from the rule, from the culture, from the values of Pharaoh himself, which is a culture of more. And what God does at this point is He welcomes them into His kingdom under his rule and under his leadership because our God is a good God. He's a good king. And this is what the Exodus story is all about. It's removing one leadership and moving them unto another leadership being God himself. God wants to be their Lord. God wants to be their sovereign. God wants to be their king. Look, this is why, if you remember the book of 1 Samuel, the Israelites want a human king. And in fact, they elect Saul. And God is really saddened by this. He doesn't get angry, but he gets really saddened. He's grieved by this action. And the reason why is because starting in the Exodus, the, the book of Exodus, God really sees himself as the king of the Israelite people. And yet they want a different king. Listen to what, in fact, the Lord says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. And the Lord told him, that's the prophet Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is you, not you, they have rejected. In other words, he's saying, look, give them their king. Because it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Look, let me ask you, what is your goal in life? Is your goal in life to have just enough, or is it to have more? Is it to have more money, to have more house, to have more car? to have more power at the company you currently work for, which results in a promotion? Is it to have more in your bank account, more in your stock account, more in your crypto account? Is it to have more clothes, more tech gear, more games, more vacations, more friends, more parties, more whatever? 
What is your goal? Is it to have enough or is it to have more? Look, I was wrestling with this um, to see whether or not it's something that I wanted to share with you this Sunday morning. But let me be just really brutally transparent with you. I want more too. In fact, the thing that gives me a lot of pleasure these days is to see that our attendance numbers have gone up. When I see our YouTube subscribers go up, when I see that our offering is beginning to rise, when we get more and more people into our building, more and more people into our online service, when we get more and more resources to expand God's kingdom, I derive selfish pleasure when people come up to me and they say, hey, Pastor Eric, great message, great sermon. Or I derive such selfish pleasure when people come up to me and they say, hey, I have a friend or family member in so-and-so state who's been tuning into New Life uh, because of the sermons, and they love your sermons, Pastor Eric. And guess what? If I'm brutally honest, I want more. Look, you would think it's enough to be encouraged once, but I want more. And again, with more, there is no end. A number is not what I want. I want more of this, and there is no end to it. And so what do I do in light of this more? I work and I work longer hours. I work harder. I work and I work and I work because I desire more and more and more. And friends, I'm telling you right now, there's very little difference between me and Pharaoh. Pharaoh oppressed the Israelite people. He enslaved human bodies for more and more pyramids, more wealth, more prosperity. I may not enslave other people, but I'm telling you right now, I will enslave my own body. I don't sleep well, I don't rest well, I will sacrifice my sleep, I will sacrifice my health, I will abuse my own body, I will oppress my own body in order to acquire more. I will even enslave Jesus there, I say. When I don't get my way, when I don't get the more that I desire, I, I look at God and say, God, do you not love me? Do you not care about me, God? Why won't you serve me, God? I will turn my family in service of my own goals. I will oppress, in other words, my own family. When all my sons and my daughters require of me is more of my time and my presence, I will rob them of that joy. I will rob them of my presence. Why? In service of this goal of more, thus oppressing my own family. Look, whenever we make more the goal, we will enslave and brutalize everyone and everything in our way, even our own bodies, even our own families, even our own friends. We will brutalize and dehumanize others in service of our goal for more. We will use people to get ahead. We will discard those, those who cannot further our ambitions. Look, we can look at Pharaoh as this disgusting human being who would dehumanize Israelites for his own gain. But the heart of him lives in us, friends. We can look at slavery as this distant sin, but in some sense, the spirit of Pharaoh still lives in us. In fact, many of us know for certain that our clothes, the clothes that we wear, are made in factories across the seas in subhuman conditions, with subhuman pay, with children working in these factories. And yet we will buy clothes from and support businesses that actually enslave, literally enslave human bodies. In what? In service of this concept of more. We want more things. Look, let me summarize point one like this. 
if we follow Pharaoh, if we follow the world, our lives may become marked by high anxiety, a dehumanization of others, including our own bodies, and all in the name of acquiring more. This leads us to our second point, a culture of stop. Look, if more characterizes Pharaoh's leadership, what characterizes God's rule now? Right, if more is what characterizes Pharaoh, what characterizes God's leadership and rule? And I want you to notice this. This is really different, right? This is where the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage differ. The command is the same to Sabbath, but the rationale behind it are a little bit different. And it's not because God changed his mind, but because he's saying, look, both of these are functioning behind the Sabbath. So I'm going to go through one now, and then I'll go through the second one later. But look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Look at what, the, look at what Moses says. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. In other words, in the Exodus passage, the reason why the Sabbath is important is because God made the heavens and the earth in six days. What is that all about? Why does he point back to creation? And here's the reason. It's because think about this. Pharaoh, when he works, he works more and more and more. But what characterizes God in His work, in His creation? He stops. In fact, every day He stops. He, he creates in day one. He looks at it and He's satisfied. He says, it's good. I'm going to stop this creation. God could have said, I could cre be creating more and more and more. But God doesn't do that. God stops after day one and He finishes His work. And then it's morning and evening, and then the next day he starts his work again, and then he stops. And he looks at it, and he says, it's good. Day three, it's good. Day four, it's good. Day five, it's good. Day six, it's good. And then he finishes. He's done with creation. And he says, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to Shabbat. I'm going to rest. Pharaoh's leadership is characterized by more, more, more. God's leadership is characterized by satisfaction. And this is what characterizes Sabbath. Look, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about two sort of aspects of the Sabbath which really get around this idea of stopping. But the first idea of Sabbath is this. The heart of Sabbath is being full and satisfied. The heart of Sabbath is being satisfied and full. And this is why you stop. This is why you complete. This is why you finish your working. Look, sometimes when my wife cooks for me, she knows that I'm still hungry because I will actually get up and I'll actually go to our refrigerator and I'll keep looking for food and she'll say this phrase to me. She'll say, Eric, what I cooked for you wasn't enough, was it? It was too little, right? And I'll be like, no, 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 I'm just looking around. But she knows and I know that I didn't eat enough. I wasn't full. She may have cooked broccoli and some light dish or something and I probably wasn't satisfied, which is why I'm getting up and I'm worried <laughs> I'm anxious, I'm looking for more food, I need more things in my life. But my wife conversely knows when I'm full and satisfied because I will actually sit back, unbuckle my belt, maybe undo a few shirt buttons and I'll sit back and I'll relax and I'll be satisfied and full. I'll, I won't look for anything else. I'll stop, I'll rest and I won't continue eating. The striving ceases the work stops and I rest. Sabbath is a practice of, of saying this, God is enough for me. All the gifts God has given to me, uh, 
All that God has given to me, which is himself, is enough for me. I'm satisfied, I'm full, I don't need more. In fact, this is why some people, when they practice the Sabbath, they don't shop on their Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath is not just about ceasing your work. It's actually stopping your ambition for more and more and more. And so they don't shop. They don't want to acquire more. Why? Because they say, look, everything I have in life is enough. And I want to tell God on this day that this is enough. I'm satisfied. I'm full. This is why the Sabbath is deeply connected to the worship of God. Sabbath is all about the worship and exaltation of God because if we fill ourselves up on God, we will be full and satisfied. We're saying to God on our day of Sabbath that you are enough for me. This is why you worship on the Sabbath, because you're filling up with God and you're also proclaiming to God, God, you are enough for me. I will seek first the kingdom, and then yes, all these things shall be added unto me. Sabbath is not just about being lazy. It's not just about stopping your work. It is the active eating and filling yourself up with the exaltation and worship of God because you are filled and satisfied with Him. This is why worshiping and resting go hand in hand. Because this is why on Sundays we stop our work because in order to actually worship God, you have to stop what you're doing so that you can worship. This is why we stop and we worship. What we're saying is, look, all of my ambitions, all of my desires for more are now stopping because I am full and satisfied in God. See, this is important to understand about the Sabbath because there are some of you in here and, and, and by the way, this is probably a small minority of you. Most of you probably this will fly right over your heads. But there are some of you in here who are like, I love Sabbath, Eric. In fact, I Sabbath every day. In fact, I Sabbath every moment. Like, I love it. Uh, and, and in other words, some of you in here are actually struggling with sloth and laziness. And if you actually think about sloth and laziness are, it's actually a craving for more relaxation more laziness, more self-centeredness. And for you, maybe the Sabbath looks like putting a stop to that, being satisfied and full with the amount of comfort and ease God has already given to you, and to worship God and to work for justice for others. And we'll come back to this idea of working for justice. Because the Sabbath is not just about chilling and relaxing. The Sabbath is actually about working for justice. It's about stopping your ambitions and working for the good of others. For most of us here though, we don't struggle with laziness. We struggle with the God in America, which is the God of more, which is the God of work. Some of you, including myself, we work and work and work and work, and I dare you right now. Stop, put your work down. It's okay. You have enough. God has given you enough. He has given you His Son, Jesus Christ. That's enough. Put the work down. I dare you to stop and rest and fill yourself up with God Himself. That's the first part of the Sabbath, is to be full and satisfied. But now let me start making my way into the second part of the, of the Sabbath, and then I'll kind of land, okay? Look, if you study the Ten Commandments, it's sort of interesting, okay? There are the first three commandments, which are all about making God your sole king and your leader. Okay, think about it, right? Look, look here, commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me, okay? God is your only king. Commandment number two, you shall not make yourself an image, right? Meaning you can't contain this king. This king is going to do whatever he wants. You can't box him in. Commandment number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord. You shall revere, honor, respect this king. Okay, so all, first three is all about loving God, in other words, right? This, this kingship, this lordship, okay? And then here comes the Sabbath. Commandment number four, the Sabbath is right there. Okay, and then commandments number five to ten, think about this. Commandment numbers 5 to 10 are all about loving your neighbor. 
So commandments 1 to 3 are all about loving God, and the commandments 5 to 10 are about loving your neighbor, honor your mother and father. Don't lie, don't cheat, right? Don't steal, don't murder, right? Don't covet, right? These are the kinds of laws that exist. Loving your neighbor, loving God, loving your neighbor, and guess what? Law comes right smack dab in the middle of loving God and loving people. It's the Sabbath commandment. In fact, Walter Brueggemann, the book that we're recommending this week is um, uh, Sabbath as Active Resistance, as, as Resistance, sorry, uh, by Walter Brueggemann. I'm not going to quote from him, but I'm just going to take an idea, right? He says that the Sabbath law is the bridge between loving God and loving people. It is a pathway. In other words, I would actually argue that the Sabbath is the most difficult and you know, most important spiritual practice out of all the spiritual practices. Because if you want to live out the greatest commandment, which Jesus says is loving God and loving others, which is essentially a summary of the Ten Commandments, right, the bridgeway between that is actually the Sabbath. You cannot love God, you cannot love people without the practice of Sabbath. And look, this is why whenever you read the scriptures, the concept of Sabbath, and I dare you to go and do this yourself. I dare you to go read all the passages on the Sabbath. I dare you to find a, a passage on the Sabbath that's not connected to either the worship of Yahweh, loving God, or the, the, the working of justice for people or loving others. Look, if we want to grow in our love for God, if we want to grow in our love for people, it begins with the practice of Sabbath because Sabbath is the active resistance of this concept of more. If more comes from the rule and reign of Pharaoh, satisfaction comes from the rule and reign from God. If oppression and subjugation and violence arise out of the rule of Pharaoh, liberation and freedom and life arise out of the rule of Yahweh. It is to say with your body that what I have is enough, that everything I have is a gift of God and is enough for me, that I don't need more, I don't want more, I'm satisfied God is enough. And if you're able to say all of that, then you can provide liberty, you can provide freedom, and life arise out of this worship of Yahweh. And this leads me to the second aspect of the Sabbath, which is the Sabbath is all about loving others. Look, the Sabbath is all about being filled and satisfied with God, loving God, but the Sabbath is also all about loving others. And so look, if you're having a hard time loving others, if you're having a hard time finding patience for those who are difficult in your life, I dare you to try the practice of Sabbath. Um, I, I think I mentioned this in a sermon prior, but I, I heard at high-end restaurants what they do before serving dinner is that they'll take all their wait staff, their cook, whatever, and they'll actually go ahead and have a, a, a meal, a, a dinner for all of their, 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 their staff. And the reason why I heard they did this is because full staff members are better servers. Full staff members are better servers. Why? Because they're not hangry. Because they're not hungry, right? If they're hungry, they may, they may want to get the food out quickly. They may want to cut the conversation short because they want to grab, go grab a bite to eat. But full and satisfied workers are better workers. Sabbath is the active resistance of serving yourself, your prerogatives, your goals, your ambitions, and serving others. Pure serving. You won't get anything in return kind of serving. If, the, if it is the stopping of your goals and ambitions for more to serve, and, and, is the, and is to serve the needs of others. Look, Sabbath is not just about laziness, in other words. It's not just about resting, although it is. But it is the ceasing of your ambitions, your cravings, and to serve the needs of others. This is why, again, some of you in here are lazy, and your laziness is self-serving. You're not really Sabbathing. You're really pursuing your ambition of laziness. 
Look at the Deuteronomy passage now, okay? So in the Exodus passage, we talked about this. It's lodged in creation. But look at the Deuteronomy passage now of the Sabbath. Look at verse 14 here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants, listen to, the, listen to this now. I want you to underline this in your Bibles, okay? May rest as you do. You see that? You're resting so that your servants can rest, so that your workers can rest as you do. In other words, on Sabbath, you rest, but also your servants and your workers all get to rest too because the temptation is to make your workers continuously work while you rest so that you can chill and relax while they slave away. But God demands that they rest just as you do. In other words, God wants you to rest so that you can make time to enact justice. You see, your resting is connected to the resting of others, in other words. This is what the Deuteronomy passage is getting at. If you're constantly working for your own ambitions and your own glory, if you're constantly filling up your own stomach with time, with, selfish, with, 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 selfish, with selfishness and self-centered activities, when will you have time to work for justice? When will you have time to work for the alien, for the stranger, and for the foreigner? When will you have time for the work of evangelism? When will you have time to work for these things? I want you to take a step back now, and I want you to look at your time, your money, and I really want you to reflect on this. How much of it is devoted to yourself? How much of it is devoted to your shopping, to your own pleasures, to your own ambitions? Look, I'm going to say something right now, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to take it the wrong way. How much of it is devoted to your own family, to your own friends? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. In fact, as a father, I, I should be spending a lot of time with my kids. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But Sabbath is about caring for the foreigner, the stranger, the alien, who cannot benefit you a single ounce. How much of, his, of, of your time and money is devoted to charity, justice, acts of service, caring for others, evangelism? How much of your time and money is devoted to the stranger, the alien, the foreigner, the person who disagrees with you, the person that maybe you don't even want to be around, the person who maybe uh, uh, cannot benefit you a single ounce in your life? You know, in Mark 2, there's this story of the disciples and Jesus picking heads of grain to eat, and the Pharisees, I guess, were just hiding around. I'm not sure how they end up popping up, but they end up popping out and they say, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This is a Mark chapter 2, verse 24. But you have to think, the disciples were hungry, and they were walking. This is not a time where they had abundance of food, right? And, and Jesus responds to them this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is not just about doing nothing, although that is an aspect of it. If, if, but if that were so, then Jesus picking heads of grain and even later on Jesus healing on the Sabbath would have been unlawful for him to do. But in fact, they weren't. Why? Because the Sabbath is all about stopping your ambitions, your gluttony for yourself, and to serve others and to bring life to those around you. And this is what really Jesus is getting at here, that the Sabbath is not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath is intended to give life and life abundant to those around, to yourself and to others around you. Let's move on to our third point, a culture of rest. Look, can I go deeper into my confession? Sabbath is one of the practices that I don't do very well. 
Fasting, check. Uh, silence and solitude, check. Uh, study, check. Community, check. Um, but Sabbath, Sabbath is one of those things that, for me, has been very, very difficult. And as, as Eric Noh, the, the sinful human being Eric Noh, if, if I were to look at my own life, I, I would say, well, you know what, it's not that bad. Like, workaholism is not that bad. Um, working, 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 being ambitious, driven, uh, desiring more and more and more. Not bad, Eric. Like, you know, it's just, it's just like, you know. In, in other words, workaholism and not Sabbathing, at least to average Americans like myself or average Christians like myself, would look at something like that and be like, ah, oh, not that bad of a sin. Yeah, we get it. You should rest, but uh, we, we see. But if I were to look at my life through the lens of Scripture, in other words, if I were to look at my life through the lens of God Himself, which God does tell me, not Sabbathing is actually one of the worst sins, biblically speaking. It is one of the worst sins in view, but one of the most accepted of all the sins, in other words, is what I'm trying to say here. That we accept the sin of not Sabbathing, but in Scripture's view, it is up there with adultery itself. Um, it, it's, it's sort of shocking. If you read through the Old Testament, um, one of the things that God commands the Israelites is that if you catch someone in the act of adultery, you are to stone them. And so this is why in John chapter 8, uh, there's this famous story of a woman caught in the act of adultery and the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees are about to throw stones at her. And Jesus, of course, says, he who is without sin casts the first stone and they don't. And so they put them all down. They walk away one by one. But nonetheless, God commands that you stone the adulterer. Now, what's interesting, though, is that in the Old Testament, did you know that God also commands the Israelites to kill the person who doesn't Sabbath? This is crazy, right? God actually commands the Israelites to kill the person who doesn't Sabbath. Now, here's the thing. Like, why would God do this? Now, my Old Testament professor would always say this. The Israelites uh, never uh, probably executed these kinds of commands. In other words, they didn't actually kill people for adultery or for, uh, for not Sabbathing. Uh, but, but what God was getting at here with this law is, look, you've, you've got to purge this kind of thinking and this kind of behavior from your community, or like a bad apple, it will, it will infuse into all of society, into all of your culture, into all of your community. And so you've got to purge that person from the community because their thinking is going to get lodged into that community. And the only way you can do that is by killing them, essentially. But they never really did this, and, uh, and, and so he made an argument for that. And another reason why God tells people to kill certain people for not Sabbathing and for adultery is because, is because he's saying this is how horrendous this sin is, right? And so sometimes we look at, oh, adultery is very, very high, you know, but, but, but think about this. Sabbath is, is right up there with adultery, with all the other high, high sins in Christianity. Now, here's the thing. Sabbath is the hardest for people living in prosperity. See, one of the differences between the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage is this. In the Exodus passage, they've just come out of slavery. But now in the Deuteronomy passage, 40 years have passed, and they're about to inherit crazy, crazy prosperity. Right? They, they've wandered through the desert 40 years now between the Exodus and Deuteronomy passage. They're, they're, they're standing right in front of the Jordan River, which is entrance into the Promised Land, into Canaan. God is about to part this Jordan River, and Moses stopped short of the Jordan to give a sermon, which is the entire book of Deuteronomy. 
And this land that they are about to enter is so fertile, fertile that it will offer temptation for Israel and Moses that this affluent land will offer them is, is sure to create a crisis in their own faith. And here's where the Deuteronomy law shows up, the Sabbath law appears. And it is even longer than the Exodus law. And look here what God reminds them of in verse 15. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. He says this, and this is the difference between the Exodus passage and the Deuteronomy passage now. In the De uh, Exodus passage, it was all about creation, but now look here in verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Here's the motivation behind the Sabbath now. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In other words, you're about to experience crazy prosperity. You're about to experience crazy land flowing with milk and honey, lots and lots of money, lots and lots of power, lots and lots of wealth. And he's saying this, don't you ever forget that all of this stuff was given to you by God himself, by an outstretched arm, by a mighty hand. All of this stuff was given to you. In other words, you did not work for this. The reason why you have a lot is not because you worked, 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 worked. Your work had nothing to do with it. It was actually because God gave you everything. Remember that you were slaves. You, 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 there was nothing you could do to rescue yourself from that position. But God gave it to you. God gave you freedom. God gave you this land. God gave you everything. You did not work for this. So don't think that you working and working and working, you having ambition of more and more and more will actually give you your goal of more. It's always God's work. And isn't this the gospel? The gospel says that all you have physically, emotionally, and spiritually has all been given to you by God. That your ambition for salvation never acquired you salvation. That all you have, even your salvation, was given to you by Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross. And think about what the cross is now for a second. It is the ultimate sign of the Sabbath. Right, the Gospel of John tells us that on the cross, Jesus Christ was exalted, that he was glorified, that this was his hour to be ultimately glorified in that moment. That on the cross, Jesus Christ was worshipped and glorified, and still to this day, we worship and glorify him on the cross. But at the same time, the cross is the very justice of God. God's justice was satisfied on that cross. He poured out his justice upon Jesus. Jesus did not think about his own selfish ambition, but worked for aliens, for foreigners, for sinners who did not care nor love him, and yet he died on a cross for them. Look, in other words, if we want a Sabbath, well, we have to remember that everything we have hasn't come from our power or our might. It hasn't come because of our efforts but because of a gracious God who has given us everything we have, including our salvation. And the cross reminds us of that every single day. And if we understand this truth, friends, we can rest in Him. We can have peace in Him. Look, of course, my daughter, she's two months old now. And what does my daughter know? She doesn't know very much, but she knows one thing, that she can rest in my arms. Like a child knows, my son knows that he can run into my arms, he can jump into my arms. Why? Because he knows that I have enough power to save him. 
And this is why he can rest on me. This is why my daughter can sleep on me. This is why my children rest on me because they know I have power and that the only way they will find rest is actually when they understand that I have this power. Let us put our ambition for more to rest. Let us rest and worship our Heavenly Father who gives us all good things. And I'm telling you, friends, if we are to rest and worship God and we are to put our ambitions to cease and to stop, friends, I'm telling you, we can work for the justice and care and love for all those around us. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, Heavenly Father, we confess our sins before you, Lord. We're sorry, Lord, that we have not stopped, that I have not stopped and rested in you, that I've worked and worked and worked, desired more and more and more, Lord, and I confess these sins to you. Would you help me, Lord? Would you help our church to put this to rest? Would we stop and entrust all of our lives into your hands? Lord, would you satisfy our hunger for more? Would you fill us up with your love and your grace? And Lord, may we pursue you with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.